Hey, it's Jeff here with a quick note uh, on schedule changes. We initially said in the show that we were previewing the Houston game, which was set for uh, December the 15th. Well, came out about noon on Thursday that the UCF at Houston game for December 15th has been postponed due to uh, COVID-19 problems with the Cougars. So instead, UCF will play Houston at home on December 26th. Uh, at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Again, UCF will play Houston at home December 26th at 2 p.m. And then on January 17th, UCF was initially supposed to play Houston at home. Instead, they're going to play that game at Houston on January 17th. So once again, schedule note, UCF at Houston December 15th postponed. UCF will play Houston at home December 26th at 2 p.m. Eastern. UCF will play at Houston January 17th. 2020, man. Unbelievable. All right, let's get to the show. This is the Black and Gold Bad Rat Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff, Eric, and Brian on a frigid Wednesday, December 9th evening here. Uh, where we talk, well, we, we have a few things to talk about. Obviously, football going to a bowl game. We got men's and women's basketball. I mean, we're, we're almost, it's almost sort of kind of back to normal, right? Like, we would be talking about these things in a regular year since it's early December. Right, Eric? Um, sure. Minus... 25 to 35 percent of college basketball games getting canceled and Big Ten championship games being decided and overruled. Yeah, and, the Big that, Ten, and the Big Ten being like, JK, LOL, we're changing our rules for who wins the division in the middle of the season. And yeah. and bowl bids being accepted right, bowl right bids, now. Bowl bids, yes. Yeah. But Even not season's not over yet. Yeah. Even though the season's not over. Well, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that, obviously, to start out. We'll talk about... Men's basketball recovering from uh, from the uh, from the game against uh, Michigan, which very much did not go their way, uh, and women's basketball um, going into Baton Rouge and beating LSU pretty good. So, um, lots to talk about here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Uh, remember, you can follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter and at Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. Of course, we are at Black and Gold Banneret.com, uh, where we are the home of UCF sports on SB nation all right let's uh let's get in so no uh football to be had uh this week but we did get word of a future football game didn't we boys yeah murph the uh ucf (laughs) is going to play in the uh boca raton bowl uh it's the first time ucf has gone down to boca to play in this ball game it will be uh december 22nd that's a wait a minute call it what Give it the full name. You got to give it the full name. Oh, yeah. This is, this is the, no, no, no. We're not giving them any free publicity. Uh, Give it the full name, Jeffrey. No. Respect the bowl game. Oh, oh, no. I'm respecting the bowl game. I don't care about the sponsor. 7 p.m. kickoff for this game, three days before Christmas. Hey, we get out of there before Christmas. It will be on ESPN. The opponent is not yet determined. We thought it could be another G5 team, but it turns out. Uh, according to UCF's release, it will, quote, likely be an Atlantic Coast Conference Whoa! team, end quote. I'll take Raise it. Raise the bar. 
Uh, and of course, it will be played at FAU Stadium, 30,000 seat venue on the campus of Florida Atlantic University and right next to Boca Raton Municipal Airport. Um, so, yeah, so that's where uh, that's where UCF is headed for their uh, for their bowl game. Now, Eric, you and uh, Andrew talked about this the day of we had an emergency uh, night shift that you guys did. And um, and by the way, thank you for doing that. So. Uh, they're doing limited public sales for tickets, but this is UCF's first uh, trip to a bowl, first bowl game down in South Florida too, in uh, in school history. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, I mean it's not as cool as the back of the day blockbuster bowl back in the day, but you know, man, we'll take don't it. don't hate on the blockbuster bowl, man. I that love awesome. the blockbuster. By the way, bowl, do you know I what mean... the blockbuster bowl is now? Oh boy, isn't that the Belk Bowl in Carolina or something? Nope. Like that? All right, go uh, ahead. Guess what? It's the uh, it's the well, it was the Champ Sports Bowl, but it's it, it's now that bowl game in Orlando. Oh, the Cheese It Bowl, the yeah. Cheese It Bowl. Thank you. Florida, yes, Florida. That's true. That Good is st- well, that like- is that is the inheritor of the Blockbuster Bowl. So, hey, but you can't claim a, on a roof, you know, like you can in Boca Bowl. Uh, so, <laughs> like, it's look, it's cool, right? They get the bowl game. It gets announced Monday. I think the positives on this obviously are. You get to play again before Christmas, so as a result, you can leave. You know, the players are pretty much free after uh, pre-Christmas, and it's such a weird deal because UCF season finished on Black Friday. There's still like multiple weeks left in the season, yeah. so it would have been weird if you played as much as I would have liked them to play in the Cure Bowl. Uh, and I don't know, if we'll get it. You know, at the end of the day, you would have had to wait an extra four or five days. So, you know, from a date standpoint, and obviously the big news you mentioned that it is. The fact now that it doesn't look like it's going to be a G5 or a MAC team that I, or, or a Liberty, it sounds like it's going to be an ACC team. And look, that's going to appeal to some fans that maybe weren't going to be interested in the game. I think from a UCF standpoint, you're hoping that really your alumni in South Florida really kind of is interested more in this game because I don't see a lot of fans from the Orlando market right above making the trip. Uh, I think this is one of those where you're, you're hoping to kind of appeal to the South Florida market. I think it makes sense from that standpoint. And if they get an ACC opponent, as we know, and people won't want to admit this, the the brands of those conferences like the ACC will appeal to people. So um, I think from that standpoint, you got to feel good that you're going to get an opportunity. It sounds like against an ACC team, you play, you don't, you only have to bus and you're done before Christmas and you get extra practices, which I know uh, Josh Heupel, in fact, said on Monday that he's excited for his players. He's excited for his staff that, hey, they get to play in Florida and, uh, you know, have a good time. All right. Here's Josh Heupel. Uh, uh, players and staff like are, are really excited about the opportunity to, to get to go play again. And, uh, you know, being inside the state of Florida, a bunch of our players, families will have an opportunity to come to the game, um, you know, and, and uh, for our players, uh, you know, it's been a, a long haul to get to this point. They're excited about this opportunity and then, you know, still have a chance to, to get home for Christmas too. So uh, it's a win-win and, and um, excited about it. You know, guys were out on the practice field today. I uh, had some time off last week and, and uh, energy was good. And they were excited about just getting back out there and competing a little bit. Josh Heupel talking about UCF's birth in the Boca Raton Bowl. So uh, Murph, this was pretty much expected. Um What's the, yeah, I mean, what was, what was everybody's kind of reaction on, uh, you know, from, from the folks that you talked to, aside from that, on, uh, on how this uh, all came to be? What are they thinking about this game? I think they're just happy that they're going to – I think the players are happy that they're going to 
have a bowl game. We have not been able to talk to any players this week, but uh, certainly from what Josh Heifel has said about at least the guys, you know, being around each other uh, for another few weeks and getting these practices in, they enjoy that. Uh, you know, the, the team posted a, a video today, Wednesday, of their team dodgeball game. So those sort of, you know, camaraderie building things that they get to do now uh, and, 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 you know, kind of, you know, take things a little easier because you're not really preparing for a conference game. It's an exhibition, right? We all know that. Yeah. Um, and as far as, you know, who UCF will play, uh, I, I I know that the Boca Raton Bowl doesn't really have a time frame in place when they will make that decision, but I talked to one of the bowl organizers who said they would, would they would most like to do it by the end of the weekend. So by Sunday, they would they would like to have a, a second team known. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Well, you know, based on the fact that the I mean, what's the ACC? Isn't this their last weekend of regular season games coming up? Not necessarily because there's ah, going to be right. some games that get made up on December nineteenth. Uh, like, for example, I think Florida State's playing, I want to say they're playing Wake Forest on the 19th of December. Yeah. Of course, this is all subject to changes. The We've championship game is scheduled for the 19th, though. Oh, yeah. Right. But, yeah. I mean, there's still going to be games that the, Yeah, there's still going to be games. Right. right. Yeah. There are teams so, that are not uh, actually in the championship game. You still have games that they have to yeah. make up just to get the full to get right. the full loader, which is which is going to be bizarre seeing, you know, the conference championship game over here and then other conference games happening at the same time. Right. Hey man, got to get that paycheck somehow. Um, look, I think I think the opponents, from what I've gathered here and just kind of reading things, and it's interesting. I think Pittsburgh, I would say right now, actually is the front runner. Uh, there's been some talk that perhaps there's a there's that storyline already built in with that game based on last year's game and how mm-hmm. that finished. Uh, so the belief is that that could be Pittsburgh, and I you you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think Pittsburgh has a game on December 19th uh, because I think part of this is you're not going to pick a team that's playing on December 19th that's going to oh yeah we're going to play three days later. That's not right. going to happen. Yeah. So I think if you're looking for clues, guys, go to the schedule in April and you find out who's playing, who's scheduled to play on the 19th, who's not scheduled to play. And I believe. That Pittsburgh is not. So, so not. their yeah. last game is actually is it Thursday? It's this Thursday. It looks like that's right. That game got moved up right to Thursday. To, uh, to you know, depending when you're airing, this is probably going to be played or something. So that's to me actually since uh, you know all the news came out, that would be the front runner here because to me you have to play. And, and Andrew and I talked about this on the night shift show, which you can still check out on our YouTube page. Make sure you subscribe and uh, give us a thumbs up. But it's you have to p- give UCF the opponent by this weekend. You can't wait till literally December nineteenth. Mm-hmm. I know we had we had Joe Giglio who covers the ACC was trying to make well if Clemson wins so and so goes here and if Notre Dame wins the ACC then so and so goes here in the old, in the normal year yeah that makes sense. This is not a normal year, um, so you have to kind of pick one and just live with it regardless of what happens in the ACC title game. So I think it's between Pittsburgh and Virginia Tech to be honest. Uh, some people, I thought Virginia on Monday, but I'm hearing that Virginia may decide not to play in a bowl game and just get it over with because they just don't want to deal with this anymore. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. and that is going to happen. You're going to have teams that just don't want to play in bowl games and and just say call it a year, which I respect a ton. So I think it's Virginia Tech or Pittsburgh, and if I had to guess, I think it's going to be Pittsburgh because I think that's the storyline uh, built in. 
I think they feel that's a good TV game based on the way you know they're going to play. Now I'm going to warn everybody, UCF fans, you're going to be you better be ready for this. If if that's the matchup, they're going to play that trick play over and over and over again <laughs> leading into that bowl game from last year. They're yeah. probably going to even re-air the game. And, and you're going to get annoyed because they're not going to re-air the game from two years ago. There was a blowout. They're going to re-air last year's game because that was one of the top 25 games of the year last year. So you're going to feel very agitated. You're going to you're going to accuse ESPN of being biased. And, oh, why do they hate us? Oh, oh boy. Here we go, Murph. But I, the- I, I enjoy uh, uh, you know, the Eric's impressions of, of no one in particular. Yeah. Because it's, so the same, it's the same impression. It's the same impression. But it all it all works. It's, it's not fair. Fair? Why? They're so biased. Oh. Indignant meanwhile, Eric is one of my favorite Eric's. I will me, say. That, meanwhile, it, 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 I will say Eric, your impression of upset UCF fan, like they all sound the same. They all sound the very same. We talk about UCF fans who are upset about basketball or any other sport. They all sound very much. Is it the same person? Who are you? Who's your inspiration? Who are you channeling here? Who are you? Channeling? I would argue. I, yes, I would say that there's a percentage of UCF fans that will just complain about everything, no matter what. Yes. So, yes, it's probably the same demographic type of people. And mind you, I'm doing this as a PG version. I do not, uh, you know, so. For, send for, all for, complaints. So. Send all complaints to Eric Lopez Elo on Twitter. Oh, Thank my you very much. God. Why? Why do we play? You know, it's funny because, like, everybody is like, oh, why are we playing in Boca? Now, all of a sudden, you play an ACC team. Hey, I'm interested. Once I mean, again, Eric sudden, Lopez Elo on Twitter. I, I actually just pulled up uh, Joe uh, Giglio's latest uh, projection for the ACC teams. Yeah. Uh, and you can follow Joe at uh, G-I-G-L-I-O underscore O-G. Um, he's got, uh, it, it sort of, de- like you were saying, it depends on the ACC championship game scenarios. Yeah, I just don't agree with him on that, though. See, that's the thing. You can't wait till the ACC title game is decided on the 19th. you got to give UCF no, the no, 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 no. He, no, he's, right he's basing it on yeah. whatever matchup you get in the ACC right. championship, which, which will be decided before the 19th. So, um, so he's looking at, uh, but in three of his four scenarios, he's got either Pitt or Virginia Tech. In one of them, he's got either Pitt or Wake. And looking at that, all right, so I'll start with Wake. They're scheduled to play Louisville on the 12th and Florida State on the 19th at a time to be determined. But, I mean, they may wipe the Florida State game for all we know. Um, Virginia Tech's last game is scheduled to be on the 12th against uh, Virginia. That's this weekend. And Pitt's last game is set for uh, actually tomorrow. That would be Thursday, uh, December 10th at Georgia Tech. So if you're looking at, um, if you're looking at uh, basing it on the amount of time that a team will have to prepare for the game, well, Pitt's going to have the most time out of those three times. Bingo. That's not, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to pick them though. No, but I would. That would be the front runner. It would make the most sense. They're done it, on Thursday. You can announce it by the weekend because Pittsburgh's probably in the same boat. Hey, let's get this game over with and get out of here. You know what I mean? Right. You know, the last thing you want to be doing is like wait like twenty twenty five days for a bowl game in this in the current climate oh. that we're in. So, I, I think it's going to be Pittsburgh right now. I, the more I've studied this, I think it's going to end up being Pittsburgh. There's an outside chance that it's the winner of the Virginia Virginia Tech game. Uh, I would be surprised if it's Wake Forest uh, because they do have a game scheduled against Florida State on the 19th. And even though that could get scrapped, I don't think that game gets scrapped until next week. So you're not going to, you know, they're not going to make them wait. So I I think it's either going to be Pittsburgh or one of the Virginia schools. And right now my gut's telling me based on 
everything I've kind of reading between the tea leaves, I think it's Pittsburgh. And there's a storyline there, Murph. That's the storyline. They have the storyline from the way the game ended last year, ending UCF streak. Mm-hmm. That's a built-in storyline, which is what TV well, wants. And they, let's be honest, they're creating this game. Well, well, they're also five and five, which is better than Virginia Tech, who's four and six. And Virginia Tech has lost four in a row, right? Uh, uh, and five of their last six coming into this game, including getting drugged by Clemson, uh, and they also got clobbered by Pitt, forty-seven fourteen. Pitt uh, had won two in a row prior to losing to Clemson, fifty-two seventeen in their uh, most recent game. They've also lost to Notre Dame, Miami, BC, NC State. Um, so, I mean, Pitt's, you know, I mean, they're they're Pitt, you know. It's an, another, Woo! another middle of the road. Wake is four and three, and they still have officially two games left. But, you know, like we said, they could just they could, wipe I, the I, FSU I, game altogether. They could, but I, I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to try to play that game. And that's why I don't see Wake Forest. I think Wake Forest, I've heard that they might go to Tampa, right? Is that, isn't that what Giglio, Giglio has them he kind of in Tampa? He doesn't have them. Oh, uh, he may have. No, he has uh, in two of his scenarios, or actually three of his other scenarios. Uh, in the scenarios where he has either Pitt or Virginia Tech going to Boca, he's got Wake going to Charlotte for the Dukes-Mayo Bowl. Which, from a geography standpoint, makes sense. And that's something me and Andrew have talked about when we've written our predictions that geography, I think, has to play a role in that, and I think Wake Forest would yeah, prefer to stay Yeah, but if that's close. the case, then why are you bringing a team from Pennsylvania down here? Because there's no bowl game in Pennsylvania. That's <laughs> I mean, that's got to go somewhere. Uh, can't you know? That's I mean, where are you going to put them? The closest one would be probably Annapolis, and I think that could be where I think that's where Virginia Tech's going to end is in Annapolis. Is I think where they're going to end up. By the way. Nothing against Joe. I like Joe. I've covered. I've I've talked to Joe before, and and all that. He's cheating, going three, four scenarios. Me and Andrew, one take, baby, one shot. That's all. We're shooting one shot. Our predictions, one. We don't make three scenarios. We don't make four. One scenario. Come on now. Let's mm. have some have some conviction. That's not how I would defend my lack of scenarios. But anyway, and we're two um, for two. By the way, we've nailed two for two, especially Andrew. <laughs> so. So, uh, well, hopefully we'll find out uh, this coming, uh, like like you were saying, Murph, I think the uh, end of this coming weekend. I would, I would, they, that's what the hope is. That is the hope. Okay. What do you want to see, Murph? You're going to actually be there, so you actually have to watch the game. What do you want to see? I want to see a game that actually gets played. Uh, be- <laughs> that's, 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 that's an optimal situation, I think, out of all of them. I mean, them. really, guys, let's not forget, like I said at the beginning of the year, take none of this for granted. So let's, let's get, let's get to the game. In which UCF plays a team, not right. not some team, just any team. Well, I'll take. Well, let me ask you in all seriousness, Murph, since you brought it up, and I think it's a valid question, and, and I don't, you know, I haven't heard an answer on this, so I'm, I'm curious if you've heard anything on this. What happens if one of the teams can't play that game? Do they just scrap the bowl game altogether? Do they postpone it, push it back a few days? Has there been any chatter about that as a backup plan? What, what, there what do we has- know? There, there has not, and and uh, I'm sure there might, might, might be some. You've probably given me an idea of, of questions to ask some people, but no, there has not been any chatter that I know of, or at least nothing said to me about what the plans are as a backup in case something like that does happen, which, yeah, you would need to plan for because, you know, 2020 and whatnot. Well, you got to think, right, guys? Like, one, And maybe it's not that bowl game, but, I mean, if they're going to try to play all these bowl games, it's only a ma- the, the odds say that's going to happen with some of these bowl games. And maybe the answer is 
so what? We just cancel it. We want our practices in, really, right? Is that right, Jeff? You feel that the practices is really what this is about the, more yeah. than that, that, oh. That's what the, the – the, as far as the coaching staff is concerned, you ask yeah. any coach to a man, they'll say the value is in the extra practice time they get. Yeah. And, and, and getting younger guys who are going to be moving up into roles – Getting you know getting them ready and uh, it, it, to move into that as you head into the spring that that's that's the value in the extra practice. I mean, we heard that all the time from O'Leary when you know going to a bowl was this oh my god newfangled thing for UCF. He was like he was like he's like look the, the most important thing is he always wanted to get into a conference that had a lot of bowl tie-ins, which Conference USA at the time did because um, I mean because he's he's like look that that extra practice time is is critical and. Yeah, I think yeah. he's right. You know, speaking of which, um, so so transition. we transition the uh, as we await to find out who the opponent is. Obviously, if UCF is going to play, there are going to be some guys who are going to be remaining left to play. Uh, not all of them who are on the entire roster from the beginning from the beginning of the season. So UCF has 17 seniors officially listed on the roster. 13 of them are redshirt seniors. Uh, and the and now the question becomes, you know, we, we start the waiting game. Even though this year was basically a free year for everybody, didn't count against anyone's eligibility, there are going to be some players who are going to be moving on. We Of course, we know about Mackenzie Milton, um, who is going to be transferring out of UCF, of course. Really? Uh, no way. What? Um, <gasps> Murph, did you know about this? I, I, this is shocking. Several man. other players uh, who will be, Jake Hescock uh, will actually be coming back. Uh, but there, like I said, there's, you know, aside from that, there's 15 other guys who we still have to await a uh, word on. It looks like Marlon Williams is going to be leaving as well. Um, oh, and, he's already said so. Yeah, he's already, yeah, he's already said so. We, a, a few guys we have no official word on, but um, I guess my question is, Murph, uh, I'll start with you. Like, of the 17 guys that we're looking at, um, who are some of the key names that you think would be going or coming back? Because we're talking about, you know, not just, you know, those guys, but, you know, guys like Trey Nixon, Brandon Moore. Um, Richie Grant, I think, is probably you know, we don't know officially what Richie Grant's going to do, but some key offensive linemen like Josh McMullen, right? Christopher Deloach, Noah Hancock on the defensive front. We still haven't heard anything from uh, from Otis Anderson or Greg McRae yet officially. So, um, what do we know? What uh, uh, what do we, how many of these guys do you think are going to stay? How many of them do you think are going to go? Well, there are guys. Guys on different levels of staying or going spectrum, right? Like, like uh, you know, Marlon has already said he's gone. Mm-hmm. He's going, and I, I guess Otis has already said it publicly. Like on on Instagram, there's some stuff on there on Instagram that, that looks like a retrospective, like a thanks for everything sort of video. But it's it, it, you know, it's, it's kind of mis- it's kind of taking a misty tone. You know, it's misty. Yeah, it's a little nebulous, a little, a little nostalgic. But that is sort of beside the point of like. A, of course, Otis Anderson's not coming back. He's going to go to the next level. Of course, Richie Grant's not going back. He's going to the next level. Of course, Aaron Robinson's not coming back. He's going to the next level. Both those guys, Richie and Aaron, playing in the Reese's Senior Bowl in January. And I think then it kind of gets nebulous as far as like, well, those are your clear like NFL upside guys. Like maybe Greg is maybe Greg McCray's in there too. I, I tend to think not. Um, but like certainly those those four. The Marlon, Otis, Richie, and Aaron definitely are. Um, and then, yeah, like, I don't know. Brandon Moore's an interesting guy because he hasn't played in basically two seasons. It's like, right. what, what does he do? Uh, Trey Nixon, you know, had a lot of I, – I, not, not, I wouldn't say pressure on him this year. But certainly a lot of people were focusing on him this year 
as a leader in that receiving core without Gabe Davis, and he gets hurt in the season opener and misses basically the entire season, uh, what does he do? Does he take advantage of, of the next year? I, again, yeah, like, like you said, Jeffrey, um, you know, we don't know, but I guess that doesn't stop us from, rec- from recklessly speculating. Um, it never, After it, all, what else, what else are we going to do on a week like this? It, it never has stopped us before, so why should it stop us now? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't really – and, and to, be, to be honest, outside of the guys I named, uh, I really, really don't know. I really don't know. I, I, I guess we'll find out once we get to Boca because then who's not, whoever's not playing there, uh, then you can tell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Eric, what do you, uh, what about you? I, I, I tend to think like, see the interesting, the two most interesting cases to me are Trey Nixon and Brandon Moore because of the injuries that they suffered. Like, like you said, Murph, like Trey was, I, I think projected, I think, to, I think I saw one source in the NFL, he was like a top 15 wide receiver, not 15 overall, but top 15 wide receiver. And then he basically did not play for most of the season and wasn't, overly productive in the in the uh in the the games after he did return because he was still uh he was still adjusting to coming back um Brandon Moore like you said is still you know recovering from his uh from his leg injury that he suffered uh now yeah two years ago basically so Eric what do you think about it like if you were those two guys would you you have a free year coming back would you come back or would you take your shot I think if you're Brandon Moore, I think you come back just to prove you could play on the field, um, be healthy. I think he's got, you know, he's got a he's got a chance by coming back to get his stock back up to show that he's healthy and, he, and he's close to what he was prior to the injury. Whereas I think Trey Nixon, I think he's gone. Remember, he transferred from Ole Miss to UCF. He got hurt. He came back, which surprised me. I didn't think I didn't know if he was going to be back. He came back, played in the Cincinnati game, played in the South Florida game. I'll be curious, very curious, if he plays in the bowl game because he could decide. You know what? I'm going to play in this bowl game to just continue my stock mm-hmm. for the draft. Uh, he kind of yeah, he kind of does have an upside even if he right. doesn't return next year of playing in the bowl game. Yeah, like if if and we're gonna have this game, but folks, and this is why you need to follow Brian on Twitter because he will be the first to let us know who's playing, who's not, who's dressed, who's not, what are they wearing when they're warming up. It's 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 kind of it's the it's like Adam Schefter on NFL injuries. No, it's, um, it's, it's like it's like the red carpet at the Oscars. Like, yeah, who who are you wearing, Trey? <laughs> yeah, right. And I'm the guy that I'm the most interested in on that night to see where what Brian tweets about is Trey Nixon, and because I want to see. What his mindset is. Because I could see this two ways. You could play because you feel that that bowl game can help enhance your uh, chances of the NFL, especially now if you're going to play. And let's say it's a Pittsburgh or whoever, and they have a, 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 you know, a high-level DB. That could help your stock. Or does Trey feel like, hey, I've got back. I played in two games. I still I have enough film I, you know, I proved them healthy. Now let me just focus about the NFL draft. I could see that going either way with Trey. I don't think Trey returns in 2021, regardless, um, because I think, to me, he. I don't. I think in Trey's mind, it's like, hey, I got away with one here with an injury. I don't think I, unless he just gets be- like bad reviews, like, hey, man, you're not going to get drafted or something. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's gone, and I think Greg McRae is another one that I'll be curious about. 
because I don't think he has a high draft ceiling per se, but at the same time, he's a running back. And running backs in the NFL draft are kind of a dime a dozen, and we've seen this where you don't have to get drafted high to land somewhere. And if I'm Greg McRae, do you feel that you've used up your body enough that, hey, it's time to get paid and I don't want to risk another year of getting beat up in the backfield? So uh, I'm curious if Greg plays, Greg plays the bowl game, number one, and then number two, if he doesn't, uh, he could still come back. But I, I think that could be if he doesn't play in the bowl game, that might give you an idea what he's thinking there as far as his future. So those are the two guys that I am the most interested to see if they show up to Boca on December 22nd or not, because I think that uh, I'm very fascinated by their, what decision both of them make, because uh, I, I think in Greg's case, I could see that go either way. Uh and even to some extent, Trey, but I'm very fascinated to see how they come up with their their decision uh, between now and that bowl game. Yeah, that's a tough I, – I don't envy either of those guys. I mean, that's a tough – that's a really tough decision to make. Go ahead, Murph. One thing I'll say about Greg McRae is uh, it was a couple weeks ago he was asked some questions about, uh, you know, what does he want people to remember Greg McRae as, as a UCF player? And he was sort of – so we, we asked him questions basically, you know, reflecting on his career, and he was very – receptive to, to that and talked about how he wants to be remembered in a UCF uniform and, and for, you know, for what he's done on the field. But, you know, and, and so what's, what's interesting about that is when we asked the same questions to Jake Hescock, he basically cut us off right away and was like, well, he kind of, he kind of answered it a little bit, but then was like, but I'm coming back next year. And Greg <laughs> didn't do that. So Greg, you know, maybe, maybe Greg comes back or not. I don't know, but he did. He certainly is not giving us any hints that he's coming back. I would say that, the, the, the insinuation, it seems as if Greg is, is, is not coming back. Um, but, yes, we don't know. And, and then if you want to talk about, like, redshirt juniors, which I know Jeff was interested in before the podcast, mm-hmm. I, 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 don't, I don't mean I don't really see anyone here. Uh, but I'll, I'll mention some of the, the notable guys. Anthony Montalvo, Sam Jackson, Cole Schneider, Parker Boudreaux, who I, I guess has fallen into some vortex never to be seen again. Because, again, I don't know <laughs> when. Uh, Some vortex. Ventavious uh, uh, Thompson, Kalia Davis, who opted out, but it Sa- sounds he- like, sounds like an angle on Parker Boudreau there, Murph. I'm not gonna lie. Well, oh, you saw what he did there, Murph. He went with an angle. He, he, went, with the re- he went with the wrestling parlance. I enjoy yeah. it. Uh, Thought you guys Davis. would be proud of me for that one. Anyway, carry I'm on. Proud of you. I am excited. Kalia Davis, who opted out of the season uh, at the start, but said actually the same day that that became known that he'll come back for his uh, next season. And Stefan Zayas, who uh, really kind of waned in his playing time later on in the year and then didn't play at all, didn't wasn't at the game against USF for unknown reasons. And he didn't play uh, due to, like, I assume, an injury. But uh, I don't see anyone there that, you know, is going to bolt for the, you know, for, for the NFL. Maybe someone transfers uh, or something like that. Go. There you go. See, that's the key there. I think some of those, and and we'll get to get into this more next week with signing day. Uh, but I think the transfer portal will be fascinating after the bowl games and these some of these decisions. If the guys feel that they're not going to play next year here, even if they have the extra year, they may decide to go somewhere else and say, "I'm going to play somewhere else," not necessarily in the NFL. And then you know the Parker thing. You, I mean, that's a good line you use there, Jeffrey, because there's been that's a unique circumstances. We don't know. With the you know I, you know health wise, hopefully he's okay and things like that. But there's been speculation that he's going to have unique options, whether it be pursuing professional football or he may pursue professional wrestling. That's not a joke. 
that's been a very bad rumor. Like it's been a long uh, story that it's been out there for a while that if he decides to go into professional wrestling, there will be contracts waiting for him because of his physique, his look, uh, and things like that, and that he's a prospect. And, and both the WWE and the AW now, they look at football players that don't go on to play professionally as guys they want to bring in and develop. So I do think that is worth monitoring as far as Parker and his future is concerned. All right, I'm well. waiting for a, I'm waiting for a Cal Bloom reference. Oh, no, you're gonna get a you're gonna get a, a The Rock reference, obviously, because Dwayne Johnson, obviously former football player at the U. So I mean, he's certainly the most. Uh, don't forget Bill Goldberg. Yeah. Yep. Well, I think Murph met like you know could because there's already been speculation on the message boards about him and Cal Bloom like maybe teaming up and being known as the Night Destroyers. Huh? What? Oh, I would yes. be so Who's, in on that. Huh? Huh? I would be That's so in weird. on that. No, no, Murph not... doesn't sound like a fan of that. Please tell me, please tell me this isn't something Sam cooked up. No, it's not Sam. Okay. This, I mean, I, I mean, I would rather have someone go back and workshop that name a little more. I know you want to pigeonhole the word knight in there, but knight destroyers, like, eh, we can it's do like better. They're destroying we knights, better. like I know. Maybe yeah. that. Maybe we just came up with a storyline. Uh, story and the storyline. Lopez, line. are you uh, right, are right. you a, are you angling to be their promoter? You know, they're. Their manager, uh, I their manager, yeah. Their manager. Absolutely, take oh, me. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> my name is Eric that's right. Lopez. That's right. I'm the advocate <laughs> for this Knights alum. We could be, we could, it could be big. I, I agree. I, I definitely would be honored to take the, and if that's what the, they decide to do. So we'll see. Actually, Sam Unger, our listener, diehard, he believes, and I kind of agree, I think he's going to end up in, if he does go into professional wrestling, it probably will be the uh, AEW company because Jim Ross has not hidden the fact of his interest in Parker Boudreaux's services. Wow. Hmm. Fantastic. I want the exclusive if he does. I, I, that's all I say. If he decides to go that route, I want the exclusive. Yeah, but I will glad. I gladly would be the advocate. I love that. Gosh, that would be, be something. All right, all right. Uh, let's take a uh, let's take a quick break here, and when we return, we'll talk some men's basketball. Rough outing up in Ann Arbor for the Knights. Boy, look good for a little bit, and then I don't know. We'll talk about what happened after that, and plenty more when we return. This is the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast. Back after this. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you on this. Uh, uh, Wednesday night when we're recording, we flip over to men's basketball who are uh, back at 500 on the year after, uh, well, a curious, uh, curious game in uh, a- against uh, Michigan in Ann Arbor on Sunday. All right, so it started out looking real good, all right? So UCF <laughs> was was in, in great shape against Michigan. Um. They were up by as much as they were up by double digits, right, Murph? As much as twelve in this game, twenty-eight to sixteen, uh, with eight fifty-six to go in the first half after a three by uh, uh, by Brandon Mahan, and then like something happened. And and my question to you is, what? What what happened was uh, this team did two things wrong. Well, one thing they did really wrong and then it sort of bled over to something else that sort of doomed them the, the thing they did wrong is they stopped basically trying for better or worse to get the ball into the paint so jeffrey up until that nine minute mark of the first of that first half when mayhem hits that three makes it 28 16 
up to that point, you said it already had 14 pain points of those 26 points. They had 14 pain points. Uh, and then from, from there, from that nine-minute mark, through the next 20 minutes of game time, they took seven shots in the paint and scored eight points in the paint for the rest of the game. Uh, and so there, now there's, there's two things about that. One, Michigan certainly did more to stop UCF driving offense they were able to sort of get in get in the lane at, at will early on and then they you know they bring in hunter dickinson who's the seven foot seven foot one freshman who's been really good for michigan so far and he had another like impactful game played 24 minutes uh had 14.7 rebounds i think really did a good job of keeping ucf out of the paint but then ucf just abandoned that altogether and didn't really try to go back to it at all and then once once their shots weren't falling, that led over to their defense, which I thought was really, really good early on. The movement was good. They were yeah. in some zone in which, in which they which they looked really in sync uh, and, and moving well. But then, man, after that, they were they were biting on every single uh, penetrating dish. They were leaving guys open for threes all over the place. It was all very wrong. So I asked Johnny Dawkins after the game. What they needed to work on most going into their next game, which was, you know, they had nine days between the, this game and the game against Houston next week. So I asked him, you know, what is the number one thing this team needs to work on? And did he feel like his team was settling for jump shots when they went in that offensive drought? After today's game, defense. You know, I thought the last game we defended fairly well. This game right here, you know, it's the exact opposite. I didn't think we defended very well at all in either half. You know, I thought the first 20 minutes was good, but I didn't think our defense was as sound as it needed to be. In the second half, I definitely don't think it was as good as it needed to be. Coach, when you guys went into that offensive drought in the first half, did you feel like the team was settling too much for jumpers outside of the paint? Because you were getting into the lane at, at oftentimes early on. Did you guys feel like you guys settled after that? Absolutely. That's what I mean by we got out of character. I thought we were doing some things that were working for us, and and uh, we didn't stick with it. We decided to go another direction. And that's stuff we have to teach. I mean, these guys haven't been in those positions before. And so things that we have to work on. You know, I can't expect them to know all of those things. And, and guys are in different positions. And guys are running a team that hadn't been running a team before. So I just we have to keep teaching. That is uh, Johnny Dawkins after the Michigan game. 80-58 to 58 was the final. By the way, M- Michigan from that point where UCF was up 12 in the first half outscored the night 64-30. to 30. Um, not what you want. Not what not you want. What nope. Want. Uh, right spots for UCF, however. Brandon Mahan had a solid game, 7-13 from the field, 5-5 five five at the line, 21 points, 5 rebounds, uh, only one turnover. Um, and uh, Isaiah Adams uh, also accounted himself quite nicely, 5-12 of 12 from the field, uh, 11 points, 3 rebounds, and uh, 2 steals. Uh, for Michigan on the other side, um, it was their uh, leading. They had four guys in double figures, led by uh, Shonda Brown, who was seven of twelve from the field. He had eighteen points, also fourteen points for uh, Hunter Dickinson, who was the seven foot guy who you were talking about. Who played twenty four minutes in that game and was uh, and did not miss. He was six of six from the field and two of two um, at the foul line. So um, let me ask you this, Murph: Is the so they're without Tony, UCF is without Tony Johnson Jr. Yep. And they're not going to have Darius Perry for at least the foreseeable future for you know, to this point in this month. Um, mm-hmm. 
is this lack of a true point guard, how much is this really hurting them right now? Absolutely. It's definitely a factor. It's not helping them get into their offense. Now, they've done a good job at times where they're able to force turnovers or get loose or, or you know, get missed shots, get out on break. They're able to actually create off. Maybe I think they actually create offense pretty well uh, when they don't have to slow down into a half court set. But man, when they get into a half court set, and, and, and it, sometimes it can be really difficult from there for them to set up a good shot, especially when you saw in this game where you know Michigan did did a good job of taking away those dribble drives and taking away the paint area, and then from you know, okay, well now we need to find now we need to find a way to create offense elsewhere, mm. and they absolutely could not do it whatsoever. Uh, it was painful to watch much of the time in the second half because a lot of it was just passing the ball around the perimeter, time's running down on the clock, and in five seconds you try to force something. It was just they couldn't get anything set, and you don't have a floor general to do that. And I think Johnny Dawkins realizes that, that they're, you know, he has guys who are playing roles that they weren't asked to do, got, playing roles that they really haven't practiced in much, um, you know, like Dre Fuller and, and Isaiah Adams, you know, basically being point guards at this point, which is, again, it's not their strength. It's really not what they've been meant to do here. Um, and then a couple of other things that I thought affected this team is, you know, CJ Walker, uh, you know, had another really ragged game, a game where it just feels like he's out of control right now. And and so, yes, we talked about the raw materials in his, in his Auburn performance. And you saw, like, when he settles in a little bit, he can be really good. He never did that here. Uh, he uh, it just it just didn't feel like he was in any, in any part of the game. Uh, I believe he got into foul trouble too. Uh, yeah, um, he fouled out of the and, game and, with two points on oh three. I thought I thought Michigan from from what I saw, I thought Michigan did a pretty good job also clamping down on. Him. They weren't going to let him. They they knew he was the athletic guy coming in, and they weren't going to let him beat him. I also thought that when he did have have a chance it just seemed like he's going too fast i think i had the same statement against the auburn game like he's, he's going too fast right now and, I, and uh, apparently he suffered an injury uh you know in the summer which kind of cut back on his practice time with the team so you know not only is he coming into a new program regardless but he then had his practice time sh- you know limited by this injury so he has a lot of catching up to do uh, and again, I'm not trying to castigate a guy for two for two, you know, one bad game and one so-so game. Like it just looks like you know everybody wants him to be great right away because he's got all this potential, all this hype. It's not there yet. He's very yeah. much uh, he's very much uh, just a, um, a lump of clay right now that needs to be molded into something greater. But um, but, but but in fairness, Murph, uh, in the Auburn game, I mean, they kind of need his presence, even if he's not clicking. Like he played yep. over thirty some minutes in that Auburn game, and he is a factor inside. And I think we saw here, Merv, when he was in foul trouble, he was on the bench against Michigan. I know it's Michigan, but UCF inside they kind of struggled a little bit. And I mean, look, I mean, we're not—I'm not going to say it every time, but we kind of saw where they missed Colin Smith there, right? Like all of a sudden, you saw some—you're—you're you're a little thin inside there without Walker, who is a guy who can alt, alter shots. He's got to stay on the court because without him. I don't. Yeah, I think they might struggle from a rim protection standpoint and and from the paint. Yeah, I mean he played only six minutes in the first half because of foul trouble. We had two fouls early. Um, and yeah, that makes sense. I, you know, I'm just saying that when he's out there still, uh, it, it's he's out of control a little bit. But yes, they need him. They need him out there because of of just his pure ability. You know, and so you because again you can he has that. 
he just needs to refine it. it it's it's sort of out of control right now. I was surprised that I just a couple of things that I'm sort of like like emptying the notebook here. I was surprised that in this matchup with 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 Michigan, which is a bigger team than Auburn, um, they didn't use Avery Diggs at all. And I think it tells you what they think about Avery Diggs. Uh, he's really become a guy who is is only in the game unless things get out of hand. Uh, which is interesting because obviously last year he was you know basically the backup to Colin Smith. Yeah, he's now basically persona non grata at this point. Um, and and Jamil Reynolds looks has looked good has looked good has flashes of looking good in very short segments. And true freshman, very very limited summer. It's very difficult for these freshmen to look good, which really you know gives me a lot of hope for Isaiah Adams, who has been one of their best players early on. But Jamil Reynolds, who no one's really talking about, I thought has done some really nice things in his limited time on the floor. He's dealt with some foul trouble, too. He needs to be better in learning his defensive position and, and how, how to guard more properly. But uh, there, there's, a, there's a lot there to like, too. So, again, this is all very much a work in progress, not just this year, but for the years ahead. And there's plenty to work to be done on in the next week or so before their next game. And like Johnny Dawkins said in that clip, uh, they need to work on defense, and you saw that in the second half where their their defense was just very, very undisciplined and chasing all over the place. And you can't Johnny Dawkins will not tolerate a team that doesn't play this. Not not going to do it. Yeah. Won't do it. As my Singletary. Well, was. especially Murph and, and you and I were there in that post game. He was angry about his defense, and I think he knows without Perry, without Johnson, the offense is going to have its you know it's going to have its issues without a true point guard. It's just it's 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 not easy. That's the value of the point guard is to run the offense. So they're going to have their ups and downs, but he needs that defense to carry them and be the consistency. And you know even in that first half, and he said they played all right, but Michigan still got good shots. They shot fifty percent from the field. By the way, let's give credit to Michigan too. I think you know is a top 25 team in a loaded Big Ten. And I actually think, and Jeff, I think you and I kind of have the same philosophy on this. The worst thing that happened was they they got pushed to overtime by Oakland. And I read some of the Michigan papers up there, and it was almost like, you know, come to Jesus moment. They're like, all right, let, we, we got to get back to some fundamental. And in other words, <laughs> their attention, they, they were ready, they were going to be ready to play. And uh, they executed. <laughs> yeah, it just well. so happened that we were the ones standing in the way after that exactly. debacle. <laughs> exactly. Like I would have preferred they would have blown out Oakland by forty, and hey, everything's hunky dory. Uh, but that defense wasn't there, and they're going to have to be there. They're going to have to carry them if they're going to win some games here until Perry gets back. They're going to have to win with defense, Murph. They're not. I mean, the offense is what it is. It's going to have its moments, and it's going to have its moments where it looks good, and it's going to have its moments where it doesn't look good. But they need that defense to carry them, and I think that's why Johnny was upset, really, on Sunday because yeah. the defense didn't give him a chance. Well, they're going to oh, get. Oh, go ahead, Murph. I'm sorry. No, I'm just a quick, Jeffrey. He was upset because the bad offense led to bad defense, and you yeah. can't let one side of the floor affect how you play on exactly. the other side of the floor. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, they're going to have to. They got nine days to figure this out because now comes Maybe. the real test. Uh, now again, this is, this is like you said, maybe Eric. Now the next game on the slate is at Houston, uh, number 10 Houston, by the way, who's four and on the season. They're actually seventh now. They're oh, seventh. Okay. Uh, December 15th. That's a Tuesday at 9 PM. That's at Houston. It's supposed to be on ESPN two. Um, Houston, like I said, four and uh, three of those wins have come against Boise state. Texas Tech and South Carolina, all by double digits. However, they've had their last two games postponed due to COVID uh, against Sam Houston State and Rice. 
Um, their only road game that they played, by the way, has been against uh, has been the one against Texas Tech. So they're now in the middle of this Fort long. Worth. It, yeah. yeah, Fort Worth. Yeah. So now they're so they're they're in this long home stand at the Fertitta Center uh, with UCF coming up. But you know, like we said, they're running into some COVID issues right now. So that game is. You know, well, hopefully they'll hopefully they'll be able to iron that out before that before um, before the game happens, obviously. But assuming they play, this is the big test for UCF right now coming up because um, you know after that, four days later, you're at Florida State, and of course, Florida State's very good. We saw them actually win earlier today, but um, the Houston's a conference game, and your conference opener against against. What is what is the uh, against the favorite to win the league uh, in their house? And are we going? Is there a possibility, Murph, that we might see Darius Perry back in time for this game? I don't think so. Not the way that, that Johnny Dawkins talked about it on Friday before the Michigan game. He was asked about it and said that he anticipates uh, Darius being ready to go at some point before the end of the before uh, before the start of the new year um and then also sort of then also kind of sort of sort of came back and said well there's not really a firm timetable but it it sounds like at the very earliest he would be back late december not mid-december so no i don't think you'd see darius perry uh in this game then i you know for those you know and then we'll oh we can update tony johnson status on friday uh johnny dawkins said that he basically will be out a while didn't specify how long, but it sounds like it's going to be a long, long time. Tony Johnson is going to have to is undergoing surgery for his injury, which he suffered coming out of warmups in the second half of that uh, of that Auburn game, which is a really yeah, freak, bizarre. Freak. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, UCF's going to be without with be without a, a true point guard for probably the Houston game, probably the FSU game as well. Um, Boy, and, heck, of know, a t- and, heck of a time know. to not have that because look, not just at not just at Houston at FSU. Then the next game is a home game against Cincinnati. Right, right. <laughs> so, yes, it's not, it's not. It's not great. It's um, not what you uh, want, as you always say. But the thing, you know, what's amazing though, you know, Houston doesn't want to hear it because they're coming off yeah. a victory against South Carolina. Get this: without their star player Caleb Mills, who had uh, two sprained ankles, so he was out. They were also without. Uh, their leading scorer, Marcus Sasser, who also sprained his ankle and was out for that game. And then you had Calvin Sampson and his son, Kellen, who were both out of the game due to COVID-19 contact tracing protocols. And they still beat South Carolina. I well, mean, Kellen, yeah, and Kellen actually has the virus, and that's why. Okay, Kelvin so that's Kellen. been updated since. Okay, mm-hmm. so yeah. uh, that – and they still won, though. Give them credit. So they're, they're obviously dealing with that. Which obviously you what you know we'll see what the status is for that game against UCF. You just hope everybody's okay in that scenario. Uh, and then you know Murph, who do you think like do you think the interim coach in that game like just took off the jacket and the tie in honor? No, I mean, what, no. Oh, man, no. I mean that's the that's the big storyline next week. You really, I mean, no, you can't the upstage tie. the you can't upstage the boss like that. It just doesn't work that way. Okay, so you just don't even try it, right? It's kind of like you just—it's kind of like the movie actors, right? Like you know, you're you're Jason Patrick. You're not following Keanu Reeves in Speed Two. Exactly. So you might as well just. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, it's a good point. So, all right. So that's the situation that UCF men's basketball is in um, right now with this uh, game against. Don't Houston panic, everybody. Don't it's panic. It's really good. Yeah, Michigan is M- Michigan is good. I think they're better than better than probably people even in the Big Ten think. Um, 
And the key is going to be with, you know, what, what happens right around the new year, Murph. I think like you were saying, like, I know there's no firm timetable on on when we would see Darius Perry or Tony Johnson Jr. come back, but it's it's impossible to judge the team based on, you know, not having those guys, uh, without having those guys out there uh, on the floor. It's critically important. So, all right, uh, we're going to take a breather. When we get back, women's basketball, they had a big road non-conference game against the Power Conference opponent, and they took it to LSU. We'll talk about that game in a little bit more when we wrap up. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you uh, as we flip over to women's basketball. And boy, did they take care of LSU uh, the other night uh, as well. Back uh, on uh, Friday night, a couple days after we recorded last week's show, they go into Baton Rouge and just take it to the Tigers in the first half. They're up 30-12 to at the break. Um, LSU tried to uh, sneak back into the game late in the third quarter, into the fourth quarter, but UCF just kind of stiff-armed them down the, down the stretch. 58-48 was the final, but it was not that close. Uh, Cortesia Sanders, uh, 22. Boy, has she been something this year, huh? 22 points, four rebounds, 9 of 14 from the field. Uh, Diamond Battles was excellent in this game, running the, running the show. Uh, nine points, 10 rebounds, four assists to lead the team. Brittany Smith, the other night in double figures, 6 of 13, 13 points, and uh, three rebounds for um, UCF. So the Knights, by the way, who uh, who only attempted three three-pointers the entire game, which is exactly what Coach Abe wants, um, take care of uh, LSU in Baton Rouge, and uh, UCF is 2-0, Eric Lopez. I was following that game um, pretty tightly, and I was really impressed with the defense. Once again, LSU could not figure out that matchup zone. They couldn't. I mean, it was funny. LSU scored the first three points of the game and then did not score for 10 minutes in the game. They did not hit a field goal. An entire in the quarter, quarter, basically. Yeah. Uh, and UCF scored, outscored them 22 to nothing. They led 22 to three at one point and dominated. Yeah. And you mentioned Tay Sanders was fantastic. I watched. She played, uh, she, her game reminds me of a, of a Kawhi Leonard type from the standpoint of, Defensively, she has range, length, big arms, can just deflect balls, part which is just tremendous in that zone. And then offensively in that game, she's taking her game to a different level, is taking high percentage shots, you know, is not in a rush. Just reminds me a lot of Kawhi. And, you know, Coach Abe said after the game, this was a huge win for them to go to LSU, win the game, big for them, and, and obviously Tay Sanders being the star of the game. I'm so excited for our players. They're phenomenal. They came in here with great energy. They came in to shoot around with great energy. I thought our captains did a good job of getting everybody ready. I thought our coaches did a good job of getting everybody ready for this scout report. I think that we played phenomenal team defense. Um, and during this time that we haven't had a lot of time to prepare, you know, coming into this gym and playing a really good program like LSU, uh, speaks volumes for our players, and they played with a lot of energy and really no fear. It was great. Sanders did a great job. She's actually done really well for two games. I mean, defensively, she's so good, and her and Diamond really played well together in terms of getting tips and steals and layups and running in transition. And uh, so it was fun to watch. I mean, I think she hit a three, and she's really stepping up offensively um, for us. So. 
I'm super proud of her, and I'm also proud of all the other players that came in the game because we got in foul trouble early, and we had to sit some people, and everybody came in and did a good job and bought in and played really good defense. And, um, you know, I just think everybody just contributed well. It's Coach Abe after the uh, LSU game. By the way, they ha- that first half, Eric, that you were talking about, UCF yeah. held LSU to get this. Three of twenty-four from the field. Yep. Three of twenty-four percent. Yeah, in the in the first half. Oh and oh for seven in the first quarter. Yeah, they were ferocious and dom and really dominated the paint, yeah. which is was stunning. We talked last week about LSU size. I mean, they got bigs at six five and taller, and UCF still dominated the paint. I think they outscored them like thirty-two to six. So, very impressive win. I think it's the most, the biggest uh, non-conference win in the Abe era, beating LSU, marquee opponent there. That's a team that was a was going to make the tournament last year. Uh, it's a signature win. It's one of the bigger non-conference wins you could argue in the history of this program. And let's be honest, Murph, it's payback for that Fiesta Bowl. I know Jeremy, our own <laughs> Jeremy Brenner, who was with you in Glendale when they we lost LSU in football, he was super psyched about this win at LSU because I think that pay in his mind, this is payback for the Fiesta Bowl. Payback. Absolutely. I don't I don't know what else you could have made out of it. This is definitely payback. <laughs> but it's huge. It's I'll a take huge it. start. Two let's say two and oh Virginia and LSU dominant defense. Uh it's a great start. You can't ask for anything more from this team and but yet I think now you can make the argument that their schedule is only going to get tougher here. Big two game stretch coming up here uh, at home starting with Florida Gulf Coast on Sunday, who has been a perennial power in the A-Sun. It's a team that, uh, it's a perennial NCAA tournament team, and they run that unique offense. It's kind of like what the Houston Rockets, and you see in the NBA with the Golden State Warriors, where they just spread you out and shoot threes all game long. And that's Florida Gulf Coast game. They are number one in the country in three-pointers attempt per game. They, They average 41 threes a game 41 think about it there's 40 minutes in a college basketball game and they average 41 threes that's almost a three per minute that is insane now this year's team is off to a cold start by their standards they only rank third in the country in three pointers made they average about 10 per game um so that's going to be the challenge for this defense for UCF, they played him last year at Florida Gulf Coast and got honestly they out they got shot off the court. I mean, Florida Gulf Coast hit 16 of 39 against UCF last year and kind of blew him out at Florida Gulf Coast. But yeah, that was a team, a better Florida Gulf Coast team that had their all conference all star player and uh, David Wingate's daughter who hit seven of those threes. She's graduated, thankfully. So, but that's going to be the challenge, Jeff. It's going to be UCF's defense. Guarding that perimeter in that zone against the Florida Gulf Coast three-point offense, I'm fascinated to see the contrast there. And UCF, I, it'll be interesting. A lot of the veterans got to experience that last year. Does that experience last year help them on Sunday? We're going to find out. Yeah, that. What? by the way, that one-two point guard punch that UCF is showing right now with Diamond Battles in the yep. starting five. And Alicia Lewis coming off the bench. Alicia came off. Delish. The bench. They're called. They're now. They're the nickname. The word is. They're going to be the the, the tandem is known as Delish. So I, I I'm all for it because uh, Lewis came off the bench and played 36 minutes. And even though she was only one for three, one for two from the field, she had five assists and was a force on defense too. Three steals or excuse me, two steals. She's been tremendous. Game. She's been great. She's been tremendous. And oh, Di- yeah. Diamond is Diamond is Diamond is really something, man. She has she has improved so much. 
Um, she's been fun to watch. Now, we talked about um, the game coming up against Florida Gulf Coast. After that, two, uh, 48 hours later, UCF opens their conference slate against Tulane. By the way, both these games will be on ESPN+. Plus Sunday, 2 p.m., UCF against Florida Gulf Coast. Time to be determined Tuesday against Tulane. Um, that both these games will be at home on ESPN Plus. But uh, the note on Tulane, by the way, UCF second in the nation right now. I know it's through two games, but second in the nation right now in scoring defense, averaging forty-one points a game given up. Uh, sixth in the nation in field goal percentage defense. By the way, too. So um, defense is definitely the calling card uh, right here. And and uh, interesting that don't tell Coach Abe I said this, but. Tied for second in the country in three-point field goal percentage. Offense. (laughs) They're they're at 50% right on the dot. Uh, Are you you saying, Jeff, they should shoot more threes? All right. Yeah, shoot more threes. I don't think she'll agree with that. I I know she won't, but you know what? I'm going to make my case. Like They're they're shooting 50% from three-point range right now. Um, So Tulane comes in there three and one. Their only loss was to Georgia Tech in Atlanta. They're coming off of a uh, victory at Middle Tennessee, eighty-one to seventy-eight. Uh, Tulane really not overly impressive in terms of this in terms of the stat uh, the team stats uh, so far this season. But um, when we look at uh, it, at their roster, at least to this point. Um, Individually speaking, their uh, leading scorer right now for the game is uh, is Jerkayla Jordan, who uh, is averaging 19.3 points per game. They have three players averaging double figures. Jordan, Crystal Freeman, and Arsula Clark. Um, uh, Freeman, by the way, has been there for quite some time. She's a senior. Uh, Jordan is a freshman, true freshman from New Orleans. She went to John Curtis High School and she's their she's their starting point guard now, and she has just gone off in this first in these uh, in these first uh, four games for them. She's uh, uh, like we said, averaging right just shy of twenty points a game, uh, and is shooting forty three percent from the field and forty three percent from beyond the arc as well. And oh, by the way, I know one of the cliches about freshmen is they don't shoot free throws well. Well, she's shooting she's shooting seventy four percent. From uh, from the Jordan was the, too, and she so. was the freshman of the week uh, yeah. in the league. Uh, Tulane was a trendy pick in the league as far as being fit, winning the conference. You know, UCF, USF, mm-hmm. they were picked top two. USF was the preseason favorite. UCF was second. Tulane was picked third, I believe. They're kind of the trendy pick. They have a lot of players coming back. You add a freshman like Jordan. This is a big. I mean, just like the men, this is a big opener for the women here at home against a Tulane team that's given them fits. They have been the thorn, really. If you look at the UCF run here in the last few years, Tulane's been that team that has clipped them, especially when they play at Tulane. Tulane's been good at home. The the good news is this game's at UCF, but this is an early marquee game in a league, Jeffrey, that made a huge statement this past weekend. We talked about the UCF win against LSU, but this was part of their American SEC challenge South Florida beats number six, Mississippi State. Mm -hmm. Houston beats Auburn. Houston's got wins over Oklahoma and Auburn early on. That's the former assistant, by the way, of Joy Williams that's doing there at Houston, uh, the head coach there. So what I'm saying is this league kind of stepping up right now and and a big statement early with some marquee wins. Cincinnati beat Kentucky, I believe, earlier this year as well. Lost to Florida over the weekend. But they're they're kind of stepping their game up, and 
and I, and I have this. There's been a theory thrown out here, and I want your thoughts on this, Jeffrey. The theory out there, and I think this applies to the UCF team as well. You know, the questions at UCF was, what's going to happen with KK Wright moving on? And I think the question in the league was, what's going to happen with UConn moving on? And I think both sides, both UCF and the league, have kind of stepped up. And one comparison that I've thought about was back to football when Tennessee, remember when Tennessee, Peyton Manning, they're in the mix, and then Peyton Manning graduates. It's like, man, what's going to happen to Tennessee? Well, everybody else around them stepped up their game the next year, knowing that Peyton wasn't going to be around, Mm -hmm. and they won a national title. Yeah, with T. Martin. And I kind of feel like that, is kind of could be in fa- a factor here with UCF. All the players, I think, knew that KK was graduating. I mean, Diamond Battles has talked about knowing that her responsibilities and her role would, would be bigger because KK wasn't going to be around. Not that, I mean, they all love KK, but they knew they had to step up. You know, you couldn't just depend on her to bail you out anymore. And I think in the league, across the league, I think there's a chip on the shoulder that everybody is kind of stepping up their game to show, hey, you know, now you know, just because UConn left doesn't mean that, you know, we could be still a good league. And I think actually in a weird way, the league might be better off because there's that urgency of, hey, we are playing for something. We're playing for a conference yeah. championship. We weren't just a UConn leftovers. And I think that's I think both sides there have kind of uh, raised their risen their game here. Well, regarding the teams, definitely, because, you know, now everyone actually has a chance to get that trophy. Right. Where before it was, you know, we've even talked about that, like it was UConn and then there was everybody else. Uh you know, as far as UCF is concerned, yeah, but let's not forget about all the players who've developed, too. Like, I mean, we've talked about, you know, how much, um, you, you know, it was Masni Kava and Brittany Smith inside um, that was going to be the key for this team coming in. But, you know, let's not forget, you know, like we talked about how key Diamond Battles has been. And they're running this two-point guard system with her and Alicia Lewis that's really been working well. A couple of notes on Tulane, by the way. Uh, even though this game will be at uh, will be at Edition uh, Financial Arena, uh, UCF has won the last, uh, let's see, two against Tulane uh, at Edition Financial Arena. Tulane traditionally has dominated the series, even going back uh, going back a while, back to 2006, when both these teams were in Conference USA, although UCF has won four of the last six, and the two losses were both in New Orleans by, by basically a basket. Uh, 2019, yep. UCF lost by two, and, and uh, last year, UCF lost by one. Uh, so um, that's how close this, that's how close this uh, series has been. Although yep. each one of those last six meetings has been decided uh, by single digits, or excuse me, except for one, UCF won by ten um, in uh, in March of 2019. So um, these two these two teams are playing tight with with uh, each well, other. And, it's going to be it is going to be a good test to start and a, a conference. key stat to follow in that game. Offensive rebounds. Tulane has been good in offensive rebounds. In fact, going in right in their first three games, they're averaging over 16 offensive rebounds. That's second best in the league. And that, you know, that's given UCF fits when they've played. And and even Coach Abe has talked about one of the things they've kind of are behind right now is boxing out. Mm-hmm. They, they're trying to improve boxing out. They haven't had all the reps. And they've kind of, even in the Virginia game, they gave up some offensive rebounds. Even in the LSU game, when LSU made a run, they gave up some offensive rebounds. They got to shore that up. In the next two games, because Florida Gulf Coast, I mentioned, they shoot 41 threes. What does that mean? A lot of long rebounds. So yeah. you got to box out. And then Tulane's very good at boxing out as an offensive rebounds. That's a key stat. 
UCF's not, you know, they got to get rebound better. They have size advantage. They got to rebound defensively better and not, they're, they're a great defensive team. You don't want to give that team a second, third opportunity in a possession offensively. Those are, those, that's a stat to keep in mind here in the next couple games against Florida Gulf Coast and Tulane especially. Yeah, one of the interesting things I think that I like to look at, and, and this is kind of, it's kind of a nerdy stat a little bit, but it's, it's, uh, I always find it actually kind of fun to look at. And I want to actually, well, I'm, I want to actually pull it up here when I get the chance, but um, there's a stat that uh, coaches like to look at called uh, offensive and defensive rebounding percentage, which is how many um, how many stat or, or how many uh, rebounds uh, do you get defensively versus the other team's offensive rebounds and vice versa. So I'm actually trying to pull it up here on wow, the. Wow! Look at this, Murph. Jeff's Mr. Analytics okay. here. Look at this. This huh? is. This is this is interesting. Defensive rebound percentage. UCF right now is seventh in the conference through two games. Sixty-three percent. They they have rebounded on defense sixty-three percent of their opponent's shots and given up twenty-eight offensive rebounds. All right. Um, they're third in offensive rebound percentage, which means that which means of of UCF's own shots, they've rebounded forty percent of them, and the opponents have rebounded about sixty. So that's that's pretty good. Um, I know that they want to that they really need to improve that defensive rebound percentage. And like you were saying, Eric, guess where Tulane is? Right at the top, right? Second in the league behind Cincinnati okay, yeah. in defensive rebound percentage. Seventy one percent. So that's yeah. a little stat to keep a to keep that's an eye on. That's a big on. one. And that Tulane game on Tuesday, yeah, that's a that's a big one. Conference opener. Uh, that's a great stat. And even the Florida Gulf Coast, because again, Florida Gulf Coast, I mentioned, they miss about 33s a game, a lot of long rebounds. Last mm-hmm. thing you want to do is give them second and third looks. That's kind of what cost them in last year's meeting against Florida Gulf Coast. So yeah. uh, we'll see. By the way, you th- Murph, you think you think Coach Dawkins like maybe called Abe and said, hey, can you like lend us a point guard here? You know, for, <laughs> I mean, I mean, she, she's got, you know, you mentioned you know, she, she, Lewis, who tra- yeah. Abe has like a, a, a <laughs> yeah. coach. Abe has like a, 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 she has too many point guards that she knows that she, that she knows what to do with. And Johnny saying, needs we, one yeah. so bad right now. <laughs> right. Like, can we make a trade, you know, a little bond? Why not? Like, I mean, man, I mean, could you use something there? I mean, I, if I'm Johnny, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just so agitated. If I'm watching this, you know, the point guards that she's got, like right. you got Todd who could play some point. I mean, it's wild. Uh, is this my turn? I don't know. My yeah, we teed up the yeah. joke for you, Murph. That's how that works. <laughs> yes, that, that is that. That would be lovely. I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Someone would probably have to ask Ray Fuller how he thinks, how he feels about that. But yeah. It, Probably would be better. It probably would be better right now. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Drake Fuller, Murph, because I think Drake Fuller and Tay Sanders are two players that I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the year. I think have a chance to end up in their respective programs, be one of the best two-way players in the history of their programs. I, they're both so much fun to watch offensively and defensively. And Dre, you mentioned, I kid, I mean, he's carrying a lot right now because you're right, he's having to play more of the point than he's probably had to. He's playing a lot of times defensively. He's playing some of the best defensive guy, uh, offensive guys on the other team. And Tay's kind of doing the same thing. She's kind of in a weird way. She's kind of like the quarterback on the defensive side of the ball because she's she's got great length. She can cover anybody. Uh, it's a joy to watch two, the two of them very much. And I don't know if you knew this, Jeffrey. You know who Tay Sanders' sister is? I feel like I should know, but I don't. Zy Lewis. 
Is that so? Yeah. Wow. I did not that? know that. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, no wonder she can shoot. I'm going to ask <laughs> I mean... her that the next time she's available for media availability, I will ask her about uh, her sister and how those one-on-ones went at, you know. They, went, so. boy, I, I would have loved to have had, had a video camera over there because they must have been unbelievably intense. But uh, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. So UCF, uh, again, with their app coming off of the uh, victory over LSU, Two big games coming up this week. They're 2-0, and Florida Gulf Coast and Tulane at home. FGCU Sunday at 2 p.m. ESPN Plus. Tulane Tuesday on ESPN Plus. Time to be determined. All right. Uh, a couple of uh, odds and ends we want to wrap up before we uh, close it out for the night. Hey, shout out to Matty Ice. Matthew Wright got the call up uh, from the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, connected on his first uh, field goal uh, as a professional uh, the other night from 37 yards. Also, he had a couple of extra points. So that's now two UCF kickers who have kicked in the National, uh, in the National Football League. Now, uh, you being Mr. Fantasy Football there, Murph, how long do we expect Matthew Wright to actually have this job? Or, or, uh, or could we say that he's stolen it from his... Uh, from his predecessor, who was the uh, who was it that got hurt? I forget. I used to know all the kickers, but now I don't. That's fine. Thanks for paying attention. Uh, yeah. The, the the predecessor, the incumbent, as it were, is Chris Boswell. Chris Boswell. That, for some reason, I was always I was always ready to say like Josh Brown, but that was like a decade ago. Yeah, that was. But you know, time moves quickly. That's uh, what we say about twenty twenty. Boy, it sure has been a fast year. It's been yeah. Uh, uh, so remember, you know, when when the when the Steelers originally signed Maddie as a, uh, a undrafted free agent in 2019, they brought him in to really compete against Chris Boswell, who was coming off of a really bad 2018 season. And then, of course, even though I think Wright did fine in that preseason, I think he was five of six. Uh, Boswell went on to have a really really good 2019 season. So you could say that he was inspired by the competition competition that Matt Wright, Matt Wright gave him that preseason. Um, I will say, Jeff, we may not have seen the last of Matthew Wright. Certainly, he will be on uh, this team, you know, the active roster, as long as Boswell is out with his hip injury. Yeah. And on on Wednesday, Boswell did not practice. So I did see that. Yeah, will, I, was, I just pulled it up. He is listed as a DNP. So yeah, so we will go through the week and see. Uh, and you know, Mike Tomlin hasn't really. Uh, hasn't really speculated on, on if he's confident or not or optimistic or not if Boswell will be back. But if he's not back, uh, Matthew Wright's going to kick again. And, well, if he is back – and, by the way, he'll kick again on a national TV game. It's Sunday night against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, so it's a, you know, big-time deal there. And, uh, and, and, and then, obviously, if Chris Boswell is healthy to go, uh, the Matthew Wright will be put back on the practice squad. Can, can we just real quick, um, in, in, in a game against Washington, and then this game is going to be, and then the next game is going to be at Buffalo, um, can we just real quick just have a, a, a little moment of appreciation for Matthew Wright here? And I'll tell you why. First of all, that turf in Pittsburgh is notoriously crappy uh, for yep. uh, it, for kickers. It, it, it's no secret why, why kickers struggle in that place. It's because... I swear they play on St. Augustine grass. It, it's it, it's just awful. Um, and Matthew was right on the money. It, 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 Pittsburgh does not try long field goals. They just don't because of that turf. But your job as a kicker with the Steelers is is sort of unique in all of football in that you're basically expected to make everything from about 45 in. And then 46 out, it's like, whatever, roll the dice. We're probably going to go for it anyway. 
Um, so he, so in comes Matthew Wright in the month of December, no less, from his engineering job, and uh, kicks in this game against Washington. Uh, even though it was a loss, hey, he he accounted for five five of their seventeen points, and now he gets to go to Buffalo, which is also going to be cold national TV game. That could be a close game. There's going to be pressure, and he's stepped up his game so far. That for in your first NFL debut, like for kickers, man. Like, they always talk about, I always want my shot. Like, that was his shot right there. I mean, I think if he missed one, you know, who knows what would have happened. Um, but he was three for three. Field goal, two extra points. And uh, that's, you know, it, you might say, well, that's what he's supposed to do. Yeah, that doesn't make it any easier. That's hard to do what he just did, especially on that turf. So, so I mean, big ups you, to Matthew Wright. Uh, anybody who watched NFL football this previous weekend, especially in Week 13, there were so many missed kicks. I was facing a team that had Dan Bailey. He missed three kicks. Yeah, it was Greg a bad Zerline of the, of the Greg Zerline of the, of the Cowboys missed three kicks. There were a lot of guys. Justin Tucker missed a field goal of less than 40 yards, which he has never done. He, like, right. he had 70 straight 40, or 40 yards or in conversions, and he missed one. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it was a bad week, but yet Matthew Wright – Perfect, a hundred percent. Matthew Wright's uh, the, out the, here, the, like, what's all your guys' problem? I made everything. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Merck. So that that's big, best, though. I mean, that's the big. best kicking percentage in NFL history belongs to Matthew yep. Wright. 100%. Hey, Merck. So this week is for many leagues fantasy football playoffs. Start or sit, really? Matthew Wright. Oh, I'm just as shocked as this is Mackenzie Milton leaving. I, what? <laughs> <laughs> Would you start or sit, Matthew Wright? Uh, start him. Uh, why I, not? Look, it's a kicker. Uh, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. But on a larger issue, if you play in a football, if you play in a fantasy league with kickers, I'll get in my I'll go to my soapbox here and go stop it, stop it, get out of every league that has kickers in it. They are ah, completely unprofitable. Yeah, you hear that, ah, Lopez? Please stop playing in leagues with kickers. They 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 are the bane of our existence. Stop doing it. Get out of it. Go. All right, next one. Starter <laughs> sit. Gabe Davis. Who, by the way. Maybe it's just me. I feel like Josh Allen and the Bills offense is better when Gabe Davis is on the field and John Brown is not. I don't know what it is, but it seems like Gabe – I mean, I know it's, it sounds crazy. I mean, no disrespect, John's a good receiver, but he's been hurt a lot. I don't know, but Josh Allen seems to be playing his best games, and it usually involves a Gabe Davis touchdown. So maybe that's just perception-wise. But your thoughts on Gabe Davis, who uh, will be in that Sunday night game you just mentioned against the Steelers. Well, Josh Allen arguably did play his best game of the year without John Brown and with Gabe Davis this past weekend, finding Gabe Davis for a wide-open touchdown, which yeah. for some reason Gabe has a knack of doing. Uh, <laughs> this is like, you know, a Gabe Davis scored five touchdowns this year, and I can recall three of them in which there were not, well, there was not a defender within five yards of him. I, I don't know what it is about Gabe Davis scoring blown coverage touchdowns, but he's doing it. I, I would also say that uh, before this, uh, Josh Allen's worst games have come without John Brown. So, no, it isn't true that he's better without John Brown because no, very, very critical of John Brown being on the field. But without John Brown, Gabe Davis is out here playing 95 to 100% of the snaps. And it's, it's, it's huge. You know, <laughs> and and running uncontested in the San Francisco 49ers secondary, apparently. I mean, Richard, Richard Sherman is like, oh, it's a zone. No, it's man. Uh, he, like, when Richard, when, when, like, when, it, it had to be the safety's fault. Because I don't, I don't believe that Richard Sherman doesn't know what he's doing on that play. He, uh, he, he's a Stanford guy. He's one of the best corners to ever do it. Richard Sherman knows what his job I, is. Clearly, the safety did not. 
because he released he released Gabe Davis to nobody. Well, and, you know something, Gabe Davis up. just has that stuff over Stanford guys. What can we say, right? Wow. Paulson and Debo, wow. and now Richard Sherman. Wow, that was an Elo Strong. track right there. That was. Woo. I'm glad I'm rubbing off on people. I know. I know. By the by the way, Murph, your comment about uh, your comment about playing in fantasy football leagues with kickers, I think I think a certain Ian McDougal would not appreciate that. Just saying. I know. He, he, he would not let you. Would, yeah, a former kicker himself. I think he would call that a communist football league. But anyway. That's, wow. Uh, all, wow. All kickers, <laughs> all kickers are out. Get them out. They're all gone. There, it's brutal having them in fantasy. It's it's really, there's no, it's pointless. It's a pointless all exercise. Right. Hey, uh, I was like, Gabe Davis is a sort of high ceiling, low floor, wide receiver three in your 12 to 14 team leagues. It's not, it's not an awful matchup. Like, the Steelers' defense is banged up. They've lost a lot of pass rushers. The Bills should be able to protect Josh Allen and give him time. The, the problem there is even without John Brown, Gabe isn't seeing a ton of targets. So you're really hoping that of the four or five targets that Gabe does see, he turns them into something big. And, and great, great, he's done that, but that's not predictive of anything. Um, so he's high risk, high reward, wide receiver three in your 14-team leagues. But if you play daily fantasy – uh, which you should, uh, because it's really fun. Uh, Gabe is a fantastic cheap option because he does have that high ceiling. Yeah, it's you know it, it, it's, it could lead you to nothing, but if he gets sixty yards and a touch, and I don't know what his price is this week, but he's probably not he's you know he's not being very expensive. That's a lot of value. So you know you could slip uh, Gabe Davis into your wide receiver spot as like you know as your third wide receiver. Spend up elsewhere. You can. Roster Keenan Allen, Devontae Adams, and Gabe Davis. It'd be great. This has been your fantasy football update with uh, wow. Brian Murphy. Uh, catch with, with catch him on DraftKings Nation. Uh, who, who, who turned the heater on? I'm so hot right now. <laughs> uh, by the way, and uh, some statistical notes on Gabe Davis in 12 games played. He's been thrown at 39 times. He's got 25 catches for 422 yards. That's a 17. Go. Screw John Brown. 17, a, 17 yard per catch average and five touchdowns. And of his 25 catches, this is the part that I like, 19 of them have been for first downs. I will say, Gabe, I've said this all year, Gabe has had a much bigger role than I ever expected him to have in this offense in year one. Granted, I, no one expected this offense to be as dynamite as it, is, it, is, it has been this year with Josh Allen and those guys. I just figured, obviously, with with John Brown, with Stephon Diggs, with Josh Allen being a so-so quarterback, you know, throwing-wise, that Gabe was going to struggle. He, not only has he not struggled, but he's really helped his offense in those weeks in which there has not been John Brown. Uh, well, stretching you, the field, you guys were they, all they, over Josh Allen's case in the in the preseason, and now look what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, no one else was? Now, like, look what's – I know, I know. I'm just saying. Like, Any, six, it, 70, yeah. Last year he was 58%. This year he's 70%. No, I mean, completion percentage is kind of a joke. I mean, Derek Carr has a high, high completion percentage. Who cares? Yeah, um, but he's, he's also very... thrown for 3,400 yards, which is already – it's already a career high by at least 400 yards. 26 touchdowns, new career high. He's got eight, only eight interceptions – compared to nine from last year and a quarterback rating of 106. Like, you can't tell me Gabe Davis hasn't had anything to do with that, by the way. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying he actually has much, much, much more to do than I ever thought he would. I know. Uh, he certainly has been you know, among the UCF offensive players. Like, he's been even better than Latavius Murray, 
certainly better than my preseason favorite of Jordan Akins, who <laughs> like he's got opportunity, just he hasn't really done it. It's been it's been kind of rough. He dropped two touchdowns on Thanksgiving. Mm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Gabe's been so. Gabe's is been, he number Gabe's one? Is south. he? Like, if you had to give an MVP for the night NFL player of the year, UCF night NFL player of the year, is it Gabe? Would you give it to Gabe right now? I'm, I'm like, blanking on all of the UCF players. Or is it Matt Prater? We, or maybe it's Matt Prater. I mean, he's having another Pro Bowl-type year as a kicker. Speaking of, as yeah, much as you love kickers. You, I mean, yeah, do you want to get an MVP to a kicker? Like, I don't know. It's kind of rough. He is ha- but, he's hey, having he's a record year, right? Hasn't he had, like, uh, two or three games where he's hit from 50-plus from uh, fifty plus more than once? Yeah, he's actually so. got the record for most 50-yard field goals now. Yeah, so. So, uh and how many schools have two kickers in the pros? There's only 32 kicking jobs. UCF's got one sixteenth of those jobs. There you go. I'll take it. I love it. Tay Murray, by the way, this year, uh, 568 yards. He's averaging 4.5 a carry. So, I mean, it, 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 at least it's going to extend his career bit playing alongside Alvin Kamara. I mean, I we know that much. I mean, Gabe's certainly been more consistent with Brashad Perryman, who's been on that team in New York. Uh, the the one the one that's not that the Giants team in New uh, York, and and it, it's not even in New York. It's in New Jersey, uh, but yeah. So maybe maybe he was up there because obviously guys like I don't want to be like harsh, but like, like it's not been a great year for Shaquille Griffin. Like Shaq Griffin is is at a really out there, and then and then you know even before he got hurt, he was a really really rough time for Shaquille Griffin. Um, Tristan Hill had his ACL tear. It was really unfortunate. Yeah. Um, I know some of the UCF guys have got Mike Hughes ball. neck injury um, out. Yep. Blake, Bo- oh, Blake Bortles caught. Uh, Blake Bortles was out of that one game in Denver because of the COVID situation in their quarterback room. He didn't get the chance to play. Rob Calabrese got denied a chance to start I know. the NFL. That's, that's they knew- really the tragedy of the year. Well, because the NFL was well, afraid that he was going to, you know, break every NFL record. Blake, Blake Bortles didn't get a chance. To play. Blake Bortles didn't get a chance to play because he didn't wear his mask. People, wear your mask, Blake. Uh, and, and and with Mike Hughes, and with Mike Hughes, that's really sad because I, I, you know, yeah, with his history of neck injuries, now you wonder what his career future is, and and, and you know, is he able to play again? Like honestly, uh, that 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 could be career threatening with what he's going through with his neck injuries. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel bad for him. So. Um, and then you know we saw Adrian Killens in one game. I'm literally thinking off the top of my head, like who who could compete for Gabe Davis for UCF NFL probably, Player of the Year? But it's I, probably I Murray. It's got to be Murray. I mean, Murray's been steady for that role, and it's a tough role because some games he's involved a lot, some games he's not used at all. Mm-hmm. But he's been yeah. productive. Some for day, them. some I'm games like, he's just a straight touchdown vulture too. <laughs> right, <laughs> I think it's pretty. So fun I, I would I would probably lean towards Latavius at this point, just because he's on pace for about seven eight hundred yards. And I agree with you. You can't give it to a kicker. Not a kicker that blew the Hawaii Bowl, especially. I'm sorry. Traquan, Traquan Smith's had sort of another Traquan type of year. He's kind of not really taking that next step in that offense. Sometimes not his fault because Taysom Hill's not a very good passer. Um, but, you know, he's kind of is what he is. A.J. Boye's been hurt for most of the year. That was tough. Um, so, yeah, I think yeah, now he's under suspension because there's. So I think some. Well, we won't talk about it, but <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think AJ I think AJ got hoodwinked. I think a lot of uh, well, certainly the players in Houston did, and I think AJ's a part of it, and I don't think it's their fault. It sounds like they got they got the wool pull over to pull over their eyes, but hey, you got to know what's going in your body, man. You got to know what you're taking, even if someone's trying to pull a fast one. 
Um, but yeah, boy, I would not have guessed at the end of the year, and we're getting close, that not only has Gabe Davis been productive, he might be the best UCF NFL player this season. My God. What? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I will say in his defense that Matt Prater did win uh, as uh, has won two NFC Special Teams Player of the Week honors this year. Uh, so there's that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had uh, he had one after the uh, Arizona game where he made uh, four field goals plus the game winner, and then the one against Washington where he hit a 59 yarder, 59 yards as uh, uh, at the end of the game to uh, to win it. So. Um, so yeah, so congrats to, congrats to Matt, but it's not like last year when he threw a touchdown pass. So, so, but if he does, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule it out. And I hope Pat McAfee calls that again, because that was the call of the year. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Uh, Eric and Brian, we've got, uh, what we're going to be following, obviously the both basketball teams as they get ready for their, uh, weekend tilts. Um, Eric, where are you going to be this weekend? I will be at home watching football yeah. and watching UCF uh, against Gardner uh, or against Florida Gulf Coast and following the UCF guys in the NFL to see who is. Can Gabe Davis, prime time Gabe Davis, Matthew Wright, yes. Sunday night football. Prime time NFL. Matthew huh? Wright. We used to do the graphic uh, you know, for the football games. We would have the UCF guys in the NFL, and you would have quite often like matchups between two teams that had UCF guys on them. and. We missed out on the chance to have a Matt Wright versus Gabe Davis graphic because well, the yep. season's over. So well, bummer on that. But Well, you know who's going to be watching that game is a young quarterback in Hawaii by the name of McMilton. Mackenzie Milton. McMilton. Mackenzie Milton. I was going to say, is he, a, is he now a McDonald's franchise now? Like, I, don't, what? I don't know. He may get own whatever. But I did write about him this week on Black Hill yes. Pinneret. He's a very rare brand. Very rare. A uh, rare blend of Hawaiian and Irish. It's it's very rare, but yes, Mackenzie He's, McMilton. It's it's it, it, it definitely has happened. It's a good column. It's a good column that you should check out on Black and Gold Banner. It's top, top ten places. places. Yep. Yeah, where he might end up uh, in twenty twenty one. So make sure you check that out, among other things. There. So uh, we're gonna be following the Milton Watch, baby. Milton Watch and signing day, boys. A week from next week. Woo. Yeah. And don't forget, we're going to be. We're also on bowl watch too because we're still waiting to see who yeah. our opponent's going to be in the. That's uh, right. Poker Murph's Bowl on top on the 22nd. of it. Murph's got it. Murph's got all that covered, right, Murph? So, sure, whatever you say, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, thank you so much for listening. Remember to follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com on SB Nation, home of uh, uh, the home of the UCF Knights on the SB Nation Network. Also, <clears throat> follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret and at facebook.com slash black and gold banneret and you can follow us each individually i'm at jeff underscore sharon eric is at eric lopez elo and of course brian is at spokes underscore murphy for all of us at black and gold banneret thank you so much for listening this has been the black and gold banneret podcast we will catch you again 